The Unstarving Artist book is available now at unstarvingartistbook.com. Hey, Michael, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Harry? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to see you. I'm really Me looking too. forward to um, catching up with you and uh, hearing a bit more about kind of your background, your story as an artist, and, and also hearing about what's been going on recently. So um, we'll get into that in just a second. But um, yeah, real quickly before we do that, just a quick message for everybody who's listening in. So if you've been enjoying these podcasts, you've been enjoying the episodes, make sure to subscribe. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Spotify and make sure to share it with your friends. Um, go ahead and pause this right now and think of one, two, three friends that you think would benefit from this and then just share the favorite episode uh, with them. Uh, the more people we can reach, the more people we can impact, uh, the more we'll be motivated to keep making these episodes and make them even more helpful uh, to our audience. Um, and then last but not least, before we get into Michael's uh, story is... Um, um, I'm working on uh, getting some help with producing the podcast. So if you want to try your hand at podcast production, or if you have expertise in that already, go to unstarvingartist.com slash producer to learn more about what we're looking for help with, we're looking for help with helping to grow the reach and figuring out ways we can monetize the podcast, but also uh, do that in a way that's uh, enjoyable to the audience and sustainable over the long term. So if that interests you, definitely take a look at that opportunity and you can learn more there at unstarvingartist.com slash producer. Okay. So with that all out of the way, um, Michael, remind me, where are you from originally? Where are you based? Yeah. So I'm from originally Texas. Uh, my dad joined the military when I was five. So we popped to California, Louisiana, South Carolina, and then I landed in Tennessee where I'm still at. Okay, cool. And for those who don't know you, like at a high level, what are you doing uh, with your art practice today? Yeah, so I primarily do abstract paintings, but um, the kind of theme throughout all of them, which is the theme, if you meet me in person, this just exudes from me, is that I just want people to feel really aligned and with their life and feel really fulfilled and following their dreams. So that might sound cheesy to some people, but um, that that's the truth. Like, I life's too short, you know? Absolutely. Okay, that's great. So you grew up in Texas. Uh, but you moved around a lot as a military kid. Um, was this uh, interest in dreams, interest in helping people be aligned in their life, did that spring up early on in your life? When, when did that first start, start appearing for yourself? Um, yeah, I think it was pretty early. I always was a creative kid, a performing kind of kid. I was always trying to make uh, my family and friends laugh and I think just moving around, being the new kid, that was kind of my my way in was to be to use my personality and be silly or uh, do something really cool with a drawing or uh, singing a song or whatever that thing was. And I think also my dad didn't join the military because he loved the military. My dad joined the military because he needed a living. And so he was someone that always had big dreams, but I saw like he didn't get to do them like he wanted. And so I just was always really motivated to be like, I want to make it happen. What branch of the military was he in? Uh, so the army. And then he went like special forces and blah, blah, blah. Wow. Wow. So uh, the army special forces, what is that? Green Beret? No, there's, so there's like different ones. So it's just special forces with an act. 
I could be wrong. Honestly, I didn't ever learn too much about the military. Uh, as you can tell from my long hair, uh, I, I went a very different path than, than the military. Uh, that's okay. So, um, what sort of dreams did he have that you feel like he didn't get a chance to, uh, fully realize? Uh, so a couple, so one, my dad is this insane, like grandmaster martial artist. Uh, so he's the nicest guy in the world, but he could just like beat anyone up. <laughs> and, uh, so he always wanted to do stuff with that, like build, uh, make his own studio and teach people and all those things. But he just never really got a good handle on the business side of things. Um, but he did get to utilize it a lot, even within the military. So, yeah, he definitely still expressed that constantly all the time. Um, but the other one, which is actually really interesting, um, kind of shared dream and love of, of, uh, mine and his is that, um, I remembered one of my earliest memories was, uh, seeing like this painting that my dad had done in the hallway of our like house back in Texas. So I was like four, maybe five at max. And, um, and I was always like, oh, I love that painting. And I was, you know, I think about it here and there, but we didn't, you know, mention much about it. And he didn't paint really any other time of my life growing up. Did and you know at the time he... that it was his painting or did you just like it? Yeah. Yeah. I'd asked him about it and I was okay. like, oh, that's yours, right? Okay, cool. Um, and so just a few years ago, my dad retired from the military and he started painting. And he was doing like all these paintings and like putting them up in local shops and selling art and doing all these things. Um, and so when we got together one time, uh, I was like, oh, it's so cool that you're circling back around to art. And he, he said, what, what are you talking about? And I mentioned those paintings back, uh, in the house in Texas. And he was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about those. Like, I didn't even remember that I had like an art impulse that I was doing at some point. So I think he, it was, uh, for me really like special to be like oh wow you didn't even remember that you had an art gene <laughs> wow yeah that's interesting yeah uh did he when you um jogged his memory did he have any sort of more to share about that was it just a one-off thing you did for fun one time or was it really something that he had thought about dabbling in you know when he was younger yeah so it was i think I think he had dabbled off and on here and there, but it was never like, uh, I'm going to do something crazy with this. Um, but he had completely forgotten that he even loved doing it. And so, uh, yeah, I was just neat to circle back around and then realize, you know, oh, well, he's, he's putting paintings all over the place. I've heard, I've heard that's, it's, uh, that can happen when you get older, you like forget certain phases of your life or <laughs> certain mm -hmm. things you were into, you know, it's just like. <laughs> part of part of growing older but that's yeah that's so interesting um and so with you like when you were growing up uh son in a military family traveling around different schools um it sounds like you had do you think you were by nature kind of outgoing and personal like you are or was that something you had to develop as like a a defense mechanism or a way to like kind of uh, integrate yourself into new communities quickly um, I think I probably already had it. Uh, if I remember correctly, my parents would mention that I, even as like a four-year-old, three-year-old was like waving to people at the grocery stores and being like, hi, I'm Michael. Really? Um, so yeah, <laughs> I just always been extroverted, but I don't think it hurt, uh, that I felt the need to be extroverted when I would go to these different, uh, new schools and new places that we lived. 
Um, yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't think it hurt. I probably hammed it up even harder. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that impulse of, yeah, ever uh, backfired or, or did lead to like a negative experience or was it for the most part pretty positive? Um, I think for the most part, pretty positive. I think over the years too, it like calmed down and, and, and that it was not like, um, I think maybe in those really early days, like five, six, seven, after that first move, it might've been like out of desperation. Uh, but I think afterwards it was really just like, okay, this is just me. Like, I just love meeting people and people, most people are cool. So it's fun to meet people. Um, were you, um, yeah. especially like, uh, I don't know artsy kid growing up or were you kind of interested in a lot of things beyond arts as well uh so i was mostly so i drew off and on i'd say every couple months i would have a really big burst of just drawing and at that time it was like um, batman and dragon ball z and stuff like that uh but i was really obsessed with singing i sang literally everywhere all the time you had to shut me up to get me to stop singing uh, <laughs> And enough so that like, and here I go saying this on the internet, but that's, I don't care. Um, my, my mom would always, uh, she brings it up all the time still, uh, that as a little kid, like four five, six, uh, that I would even sing while on the toilet in the bathroom, <laughs> she'd be like, Michael, that's not appropriate. Uh, so I had to learn there were some boundaries with singing. <laughs> what were your uh, types of songs that you like to sing? Were there certain artists or? Uh, styles of music that you're more drawn to um let's see so it started off with um kind of r&b and motown uh and then there was also like rap pack at the time so little young me was was singing the oldies and then i got into classic rock and then i, I was doing um i joined a metal band in high school so then i sang like rock and metal and then i went to school for like classical music so i sang like opera and stuff and i uh, got into like indie songwriter uh folk stuff as well so jazz i just really love you know all of it so yeah were your parents if it's good singers? i want to sing it were your parents singers like was there other singers in your household growing up or uh so my mom uh i'm, I'm kind of like a big mixture of my mom and my dad uh so my mom sang and played piano uh and so I grew up around martial arts and music. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Um, my, uh, uh, I, I sang growing up. My siblings sang growing up. My sister oh, now. Fun. Yeah. My sister now has her first two kids and she's always liked singing and music. And it's just interesting to see as she raises her kids, like she just has music as a big part of their growing up. And you can tell like they're just totally absorbing all that and getting into it kind of because of that environment that they were in um it's awesome yeah it's really interesting um what kind of stuff did you sing um i was in a i just did cor i did chorus in high school that's when i started singing and mm -hmm. um i did it because they uh, of all the different music music things like band and orchestra it was kind of the coolest one <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> like uh they had we would get on go on trips so we'd go to the beach for like a long weekend so nice. little things like that kind of got me into it. And then I found out I really liked the actual singing element. And so then I joined uh, like a more exclusive kind of audition group at my school. Um, 
And then there was uh, girls and guys. And then I joined like a kind of a student run men's acapella group. And then I sang uh, all through high school and then sang in college. Um, yeah. So it was like um, a lot of classical uh, choral pieces. Like I remember singing um, Handel's Messiah, uh, mm-hmm. Foray's Requiem, um, Chichester Psalms by um, uh, Leonard Bernstein. Um, we may have done like some Benjamin Britten. John Rutter, like a lot of stuff like that. And um, mm-hmm. then the acapella group was kind of like pop pop songs that were contemporary. And um, yeah, so it's fun. Um, but I don't, uh, I sing like in the car or <laughs> yeah. in the shower today. I don't really sing <laughs> professionally. Yeah. Anything. But hey, well, that's so awesome. Yeah, man. Those are great places to sing. So, so um, are you still like uh, keeping up with your music today? Is that something that you still um, pursue? So, kind of, yes. Uh, long story short, um, so music was the thing all along the way, uh, but right when I was about 26, I had a crazy jaw ear condition, so really bad TMJ, if anyone is familiar with that. But what that means, essentially, is that my jaw hurt and my ears hurt a lot, and when I would sing, it would be really painful. So, I I had actually built up a full-time career as a uh, voice and guitar instructor. And as well, I was playing in bands and leading music at churches. And, um, so felt this pain. And then very quickly, uh, I was moving from uh, Clarksville, Tennessee to Chattanooga, Tennessee to marry my now wife. And, uh, right as I moved, all that happened. So I lost my business. I lost my career, lost my creative outlet. Um, and so for a long while, a couple of years, I couldn't even play guitar at home. It was too loud to have an acoustic. Um, and I was wearing earplugs every single day. If the noise and, would like vibrate in your jaw and cause pain mm-hmm. from the guitar. Yeah. So essentially, uh, all the nerves were inflamed. So if you think about like, if you've ever been in a small room with no rugs and a lot of people and they're all laughing, your ears might even start to like hurt. You're like, well, this is a little too much. Uh, that's essentially what would happen in my ears all wow. the time. Wow. I've never uh, heard of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, it made for a not fun did, time. Did it so, just develop out of nowhere, or is there something that you had happened, or like an accident that caused it to happen? Or so uh, it turns out that it was like my jaw was like slightly misaligned, which was causing wear and tear on the ligaments. Wow! And so it it was like fine, everything's good, and then all of a sudden, just I was in the middle of uh, singing at a uh, playing a music set, and then halfway through, I just had like horrible pain. Uh, I finished it out cause I could just feel where the notes were, you know, wow. but, but then I just, yeah, it was very quick after that, that it, it was, uh, it was a struggle. So, um, yeah, so that was, it stopped music for a long time. Uh, luckily was there something I, you could do like surgery or like a ther- therapy or something to recover or. Yeah. So ultimately I went to, um, TMJ specialist and they essentially make these like mouth guards that help to kind of even out the bite and um, protect you from squeezing down too hard. Um, and so that has helped uh, essentially for what I have, there's no cure. It's more of let's stop the symptoms and stop the forward progression. And then hopefully we can just keep it where it's at. Um, and that has resulted in far less pain. I still have pain. So I want to call them uh, bad math days, but 
it's been it's been a good while since I've had uh for the first few years I would work my day job whatever I was doing at the time that you know I was just like surviving after career change um and by the time I would get home it was hard to talk so I wow. would just have to be like I would just be like hey honey it's a bad mouth day so I'm gonna sign language I don't know sign language but I would just do charades essentially uh you know for the night and um luckily I've gotten to the point now with my doctor where I I haven't had to do that in months and I can smile and talk you know a fairly normal amount throughout the entire day and uh still be able to be good to go so um now that that's happened it's also reduced some of the inflammation with my ears so I can't go to loud concerts and I'm not going to be out performing in the world uh singing but I play guitar and mandolin and ukulele at home all the time and I can sing a little bit at home mm -hmm. uh every once in a while if I don't push it too hard. Wow. Have you um have you done I mean I'm not an expert in this but have you done any research on your own or like gotten second opinions or anything like that on the the whether there are yeah, other so, options to to cure it? So I've looked around a lot. There's uh there's a guy there's a I forget where they're at. Anyways, but I have it on a list somewhere uh, to explore further of like some of the people on the forefront of TMJ uh, research and therapy. And ultimately, most places are going to do what I have, which is like a mouth guard splint that helps. Um, but the place that I was that I'm still looking at and hope to go one day, they do a massive amount of diagnosis before prescription right uh, and so for some of them they have gone down a different like surgery route that's worked but it really depends like case by case um so i'm definitely open to further exploration in the future but so far i'm glad to have at least stabilized yeah yeah it sounds yeah. like it sounds like your condition's way better yeah i, I only bring it up because like i recently had like a little jaw surgery done um myself and i knew knew nothing about the jaw and um, what can be done today. And it's just, a, it's kind of amazing the category of surgeries that are done. There are, a lot of them are, are very expensive. What I had done was not, not that expensive, but um, it, I have no indication of, I've never heard about what you have, but it just made, made me think that there might be some people that have other approaches where uh, they can realign the jaw or things like that. Uh, and uh, there's something called like double jaw surgery where they literally can take like the top jaw and slide it forward or backwards and the bottom mm -hmm. jaw and slide it forward or backwards. And it's, it's, it's wild. I had nothing done that, that like that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's just amazing. So um, definitely, yeah, I'd encourage you to, to explore and just see. And then, cause like medicine's always changing too. Like it could be in exactly three years or five years, there could be something for that. Um, hundred percent. So when this first started happening, like, uh, what was your mood? Like, what was your emotional state? Like, were you, did you have some down days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah more like down years uh it was it was bad um so you were married though at the you time heard, hmm? you'd already been married though so you had your wife to help you so and... we were we were on the way to getting married okay. so uh it was it was a bad time so right as i moved it all happened so i ended up you know i didn't i was my plan was i'm gonna move to chattanooga so i can marry this girl and i'm gonna start up my guitar and voice teaching business because i know how to do that i'm I'm super extroverted. I can probably fill out my studio 
in a month Quick. to three tops. Yeah. 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 And then I'm, I'm good to go. And then I'm like, we're ready for life. Uh, and instead I ended up moving in with her parents and then I worked at like a coffee shop and Michael's and Target and was just scrambling and kind of in a, in a, a, a wicked cycle of, I have to talk in these jobs all day long and that makes it worse. And then I, and so I just kept going back and forth. So anyways, I call those, um, the X-Files, uh, days because other than the jobs that I worked, I just watched the X-Files and binged it during like a super depressive episode. Um, and it's a great show. <laughs> it probably helped me, uh, at least make it through. So I'm very grateful for the X-Files, but, um, yeah, ultimately it was, a just a very dark time, but it was, I don't know. I, it's not the most recommended path of personal development, but I, I definitely, it does, it definitely works. Uh, because if you're in that bad of a place and you have to keep just taking a single step forward to make progress and like to get yourself out of a, a hole, um, both medically, financially, for me, creatively, and at, uh, for most other creative people, they probably understand the idea of like, if I don't create, I feel like horrible <laughs> inside. And so I started, uh, first off, I just did like literally a thing a day. I, I, I went in the darkest of the times I would put in my notebook, like, what's the one thing I can do that if I do it, um, we'll make forward progress. And then I can just say, cool, I did something today. And then I can watch next boss. <laughs> and then, uh, eventually you know, that one thing became multiple things. And, um, I started picking up different creative skills so video, photo design, hand lettering, fiction writing. And then I started like back to drawing and, uh, and drawing ends up being one of those things that stuck throughout the creative um, times were like really helping me to just have something to do that I could do. Like I couldn't talk that very, that much, you know, so I, I was doing that. So yeah, looking back now that you come out of that a lower period, are there any things that you think you could have done differently or um, what, what sort of advice would you have if you were going back and could give yourself advice on like how to get out of that, that funk, uh, faster? Yeah. Um, I think, I think one of the big things was at the time I didn't have a lot of hope when it came to forward progress and like helping my job your health. and everything. Um, and so because I didn't have enough hope, I didn't really have enough curiosity to then explore options so i would definitely say if if it's medical related like just finding some thread of optimism you, you can hold on to that keeps you taking actions to just to see what the options are um don't lose hope that yeah that could have been a big uh help and then because it is because thing... you're right like if you your outlook if you're like oh there's no hope like i can't get better then you because you believe that's true then you don't do as much research you're not as curious to see if there are ways to get out exactly. of it and then you basically reinforce the belief oh yeah like i'm just stuck in this and then that like the, so the hardest part is like breaking out of that cycle because you have to be the yep. you have to internally make the decision be like no like i'm going to believe i can get out of this no i believe I, my life can get better you know and even if yeah. even if this is a condition i have like uh i'm going to find ways of like uh uh finding an outlet or or finding a new form of life that is allows me to flourish or be happy again, you know? Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. I, uh, 
they may be cheesy to some people, but for me during that time, I remember I was watching, uh, <laughs> after the first depressive episode that was just like X-Files at, beyond that, I, I started listening to like a lot of those like motivational YouTube videos where it's just like dramatic music and they're like, you wake up at 6 a.m. <laughs> and then, but you're the kind of person that gets to work. And, and so for me, do you at remember that time, any of those I, people's names? Like what sort of people they were? No, nah, I, uh, let's you see. just like, you would search on YouTube for like motivation or something like yeah, that? Yeah, motivation. And it would just be like clips of different like people, like actors or uh, athletes or creative people or business people, uh, just like smash together clips of a lot of the things they were saying. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I would just lean in to like a lot of those things. So I was listening to like a lot of Tony Robbins and reading a bunch of books, self-help books. And um, I, I remember it's the, amazing the how much stuff is out there, but you just have to mm -hmm. you have to just take that first step of like reaching and looking for it. But then you find it, you're like, wow, like this is so inspiring or helpful or mm -hmm. um, I don't know so you have to be as it hits you at the right time. But um that's really yeah. cool that that was like part of your process. Yeah, no, definitely the um, the videos were really helpful. I started doing like affirmations around the same time. Um, How did you first then, learn about affirmations? And for those who don't know, can you tell people what affirmations are? Yeah. So, um, okay. So I, I guess on the the lowest, there's like a spectrum. I would say with affirmations, on the smallest end of them, it's just like saying something positive about yourself and then on the the furthest end of the spectrum it's like saying <clears throat> positive things about possible things like future uh things things that you don't currently feel is true about you but but you hope to become true you want to step you. into that or become that or you know yeah feature that so, aspect of yourself yeah so for instance like you know at the, on the smallest end of of me feeling like i'm a person in those like really dark times that uh couldn't get out of like finding i couldn't find a job because all my all my stuff was music and so uh even something as small as like i'm the kind of person that can uh take steps when they're hard like that would be you know a, a really simple thing i might would say at that time um and i think i first i think i first heard about them uh from a book called how to fail at everything and still win big by scott adams really one of the the creator of dilbert uh i've read that comic yeah and uh he he talked about it as in like you know there's a lot of people out there that go on the really like mystical side of like affirmations and they're like i'm gonna manifest this you know crazy thing um and he was like i don't really believe in that but I don't know. Uh, he was really stuck. So he's like, let me try this thing. And so he's, he started doing affirmations around something really small. And then he was like, huh, that works. I don't know why, but it worked. And, uh, and so ultimately I think he, if he doesn't talk about it and someone else does, like at the very least, if you don't like the, the mystical side of things, then it's at least priming your brain to think about, to be on the lookout for like possibilities that could help you. So, sure. you know, on the medical side, like if I'm not thinking there's any hope, that I can get better, I'm not going to be on the lookout. My brain's not going to be on the lookout for someone mentions, you know, a jaw thing. And I'm, instead of listening, I just like ignore it. But, 
by like focusing on, oh, I am the kind of, maybe my jaw can't be healed, then I will be on the lookout for, you know, people saying those things. So anyways, I started I trying that. some stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. And I think, um, yeah, like the, what I've heard is with affirmations, you want them to be kind of like declarative tense. Like I am this, I am that. Even if you don't feel that's who you are right now, because you just say it over and over again. And then what's happening is you're like rewiring your subconscious where your subconscious eventually that older limiting belief of you thinking like, oh, I'm like, I, one of my favorite affirmations is like something like I'm smart, uh, confident, helpful, and worthy of taking up anyone's time. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. are concerned that they're bothering people or they're wasting people's time or like, and that's like happening at this very subconscious level. And then that affects like how they communicate with them and they apologize for stuff they shouldn't apologize for. Mm -hmm. So if you can like say that over and over again, it's that, that, that those feelings of inadequacy or lack of word, um, weaken and weaken. And then they're replaced by this stronger thing. And it doesn't, um, uh, happen overnight, but, um, that's how I think it impacts things. If you think you can just say like, I own a mansion in a Lamborghini and you just say it over and mm -hmm. over again, um, that won't necessarily like just met, like magically happen. But if you can talk about like the type of person you want to become, type of character traits you want to have, I've seen in my own life and in other people's lives, like massive, massive impact um, from an affirmations practice. Um, mm -hmm. So for those who don't know about it, yeah, definitely, definitely think about it. Um, sorry to interrupt. Just wanted to to share that. No, yeah, no, not interrupting. That's a hundred percent. Like, I think most of us, either from society or if you didn't have a great family uh, system growing up um, or even from yourself, whatever things you're wired with, um, we get a lot of negative thinking in our brains. Like our, right. a lot of people's default is negative, um, especially. Or, and it might've been someone... positive for a while, but then you get into a funk, right? Mm -hmm. And then you, yeah. you, you fall into it and you think that like, oh, this is now my reality. Like what I used to believe isn't true. Or you, you even forgot what you used to believe and you have mm -hmm. to like pull yourself out of that that funk mindset. And this is like a really good way to do that. Um, yeah. So did like, did somebody recommend these sort of books to you? Like did your girlfriend or wife at the time, mm -hmm. did she kind of encourage it or something that you just kind of said, I'm, you started pulling yourself out. How did, how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, everyone around me was really encouraging, but, Supportive. um, yeah, but I, I think it was really, it was really just like, um, no one's gonna, like no one's gonna people, put, put you on their back and like carry you out of the. Yeah, honestly, the okay. Are you familiar with the Harry Potter movies? Sure. Um, yeah, of course. So there's whichever the movie was where uh, Harry and I think it's whatever the time travel one is. Uh, Harry is on one side of this lake and is being attacked by all these Dementors, like dark, you know, ghost things. Um, and he sees the a figure on one. the other side of the. <laughs> okay, yeah, I <laughs> see. He sees that figure on the other side of the lake and he thinks it's his dad coming back like as a like a Patronus ghost thing to help Somehow him. Somehow to help um, him, yeah, right. And he realizes, spoiler alert, he realizes that later on it was actually himself that saved himself. And for me, that's always been like that. I I, I heard someone say it at some point along the line. It's like, no one's coming to save you. Like, you have to be your own hero, essentially. And that really stuck with me. That plus, I would say, the book, The Obstacle is the Way, which even the, the the moral of the story of obstacles ways in the title is that um, Ryan Holiday? Those, yeah, Ryan Holiday. Those those the, those two ideas like really implanted themselves in my brain, and I was like, okay, 
I am the person that has to do the things. It's like uh, another one was, um, even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. And so for me, I was like, okay, like whether or not the medical stuff that happened to be that changed my life. And now I have to like build myself back up. Like, I don't know. It could be my fault. You know, it could have been. It doesn't really even matter whose fault it is. It just, it is what it is. It's my job to get myself out of it. And so, uh, that plus the obstacle is the way we're realizing like, okay, whatever the thing I'm most dreading right now, it's probably the thing I need to do. Uh, and that makes it really easy to put my to-do list item and just say, yeah. like, okay, this horrible thing is my to-do list. Yeah. So, and so, so, honestly, so, that got me out of it. So this is, this is awesome. I, these, I love all these book recommendations. I haven't read um, Ryan Holiday's books, but basically for those who don't know, this guy, um, he apprenticed under uh, this guy named Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power. Um, and then from there, he started writing his own books and, and blogs. And he's written a lot on uh, stoicism, but like helping mm-hmm. modern audiences uh, access the kind of philosophy of stoicism um, in, a, in an up, up-to-date way. And he has all these books that have really like uh, uh, not sexy or not like easy titles, like, right, The Obstacle mm-hmm. is the Way. Like, that doesn't sound that attractive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, that sounds horrible. That sounds Why hard would I read that? and uncomfortable. Yeah. But like, that's the whole kind of stoic thing. And then it turns out that they were like, he's had these huge hits. So um, I've, I've, I've been exposed to stoicism through other books and just reading about it online. And um, it's, it's an interesting philosophy. I don't think it's like the one philosophy to, mm-hmm. to beat all other philosophies, but I think a lot of artists could benefit from it as a, as a tool in the tool belt. Um, mm-hmm. because, um, yeah, it's about, um, te- it teaches you a lot about resiliency, endurance, and putting things in perspective to help you like keep going and not catastrophize or not like make something bigger than it needs to be. Um, mm-hmm. any comments or thoughts on that? Yeah, hundred hundred percent. I think for me during the hard times, I went so I leaned so hard into stoicism as a way to like protect myself from future hurts. Um, which was nice during the times when literally ninety percent of my every day was doing things I hated. Uh it helped me take the next step even when I'm like, nothing feels good right now, but I'm gonna keep building these skills, I'm gonna keep applying for jobs, I'm gonna keep, you know, trying to raise my and come back to what it was and all these things. Um, and so it really helped me in the darkest of times to to go hardcore stoic. Yeah. But as my life started to stabilize, I think I had to realize like, okay, stoicism, that ability to not uh, over-index on uh, the crazy high Your feelings current. of when things are great right. or too low, you know, finding that place in the middle uh, was nice. But when it comes to, when it comes to art, you know, that's the other side of like, well, let me tap it into my emotions. Let me, let me, let me let those waves come and go while I'm doing art. Right. But when it comes to the chaos of life, let me be a little bit more uh, stable. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the potential danger of stoicism is like uh, bearing your emotional state and doing it for so long that you like forget kind of who you are, or like where you mm-hmm. are. Um, um but it's uh, that's that I think that a lot of people could could benefit from taking a look at some of those ideas. And then um, Scott Adams' book is actually quite good too. How to what is it? How to how to fail how to at almost fail everything, at everything and still and win still big. win big. Yeah, it's it's definitely highly recommend that one as well. It's um, uh, 
talks about like all his career failures that even despite that he could just basically reframe them and mm -hmm. uh keep going and combine skills in different ways and develop different yeah. approaches and then uh carve a life that was a life that he's happy with and, and get to a good place but it's like not necessarily what he anticipated when he started out um yeah so definitely recommend that as well um okay so we had the x file phase <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then we had the motivation phase um mm -hmm. you mentioned tony robbins i haven't really uh listened to much of his uh uh content was there a specific idea that he had that was helpful to you mm. i think for him it was just more of like uh he just popped up a lot in those like motivational um compilations okay and as just someone who's a very natural like charismatic speaker uh it was just another one of those voices of positivity yeah i think the ones that stuck with me the most in terms of like core ideas was probably ryan holiday and then um ironically enough there's a book uh called the one thing by um gary keller and jay papasan so the guy that did the keller williams real estate stuff okay um and it, that's another book similar to the obstacles the way where uh the title is the tool and then the book is really just let's look at a thousand different angles of how to use this tool um is but that, that just question a book on kind of earlier. focus like what's the one thing you need to yeah so it's next? like the 80 20 if you apply the 80 20 rule to the maximum like 80 20 rule on top of the 80 20 rule um it's like, what's the the question? There's a question that he uses as a prompt, which I still to this day use pretty much every day, which is what's the one thing that I can do that because I do it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. And I so, love that idea. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So during, during the hardest times I was going through, that was what I would put on my to-do list. It's, and often that would be whatever the obstacle was, the thing that was annoying. Right. It was what, what's the strategy to remove the obstacle that I'm applying? Um, and so, you know, such yeah, a simple often, idea, but so often mm -hmm. we don't actually, uh, put that into practice. Like it's, I, I have so many artists that I work with or clients or people, and it's like, they will come and they'll be like, what happens if, you know, it's, you know, the 41st day of the month and the moon is full and like the tides are out. And what do I do in that scenario? And it's like, that's, not anywhere near your reality right now, but like you're spending mm -hmm. all this energy worrying about things, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I have to yep. say like, what's the one thing in front of you that like you need to focus on? Um, yep. and it, I think it's just, we, it sounds boring, but it's like, if you can train yourself to hone in on like the six inches in front of your face, you will actually mm -hmm. see your life get better and better. And you, and like you said, like things become unnecessary or you have more space, you have more creative, um, uh, energies, like, um, share more about kind of like how that helped you in your process. Yeah. So that helped me first to get out of, uh, hard times because a lot of times, especially when things are not going well, we can often get anxious and panic and feel overwhelmed. And so it's hard to figure out what the to-do list item should be. And a lot of times it's just a bunch of random stuff that we come up with. But taking the time to ask yourself that question and say, like, is there actually something in front of me or, or that I haven't thought of, or maybe it's out there and I can research it and I don't know what it is yet. But is there a thing that if I did it, it would actually like my, make my whole current life situation 
feel a lot better, at least optimistic that I will get yes. out of it at some point. Yes. And, and so like a lot of times this can be something small, but sometimes it could be as simple as like, um, um, okay, here's an example from recent times, but I, cause the old times are less yeah. uh, in my brain, but I realized I was not posting consistently for my art business and, um, I needed to do that. And I was like, okay, like this, my, it's never going to grow if I don't, you know, show up. But I had dealt, I had built up a lot of like weird emotional things in my brain. Cause I had tried doing content multiple times during the dark years. Uh, not, not the X-Files season, but like in the seasons after where I was still trying to figure out my identity as a person again. Right. Um, and I had built up some weird constructs. Right. So I was like, okay. I know content. I love content. I've analyzed it because I'm a fan of YouTube and short form and everything. Um, but I was like, I just have this hang up. So, yeah. yeah. So I asked myself, like, what's the one thing I could do that would solve my content hang up uh, and make everything that I'm worrying about unnecessary, all these different things I'm doing. So uh, there's this guy that I, I really have I've enjoyed his stuff online for a long time. Uh, and he's just a really chill easygoing spirit and uh he had like a really affordable monthly like content accountability thing essentially yeah and so i was like oh in the past i didn't have money like side hustle money that could afford this but now i can afford this and this is going to help me to stay consistent so i started you know paying this guy and i was like okay cool and then i've been really consistent ever since then and it's i don't even think about it i'm like okay yeah of course of course i'm gonna post today well, because now I have to. <laughs> I have all this accountability. Um, and uh, another example in the past, uh, and a lot of those, a lot of times, accountability is is one of the helpful things. Uh, I asked myself, I wasn't doing the creative things that I said I wanted to do, and I asked myself, like, who's the most reliable friend I have? Uh, that if I reached out to them to set up a daily accountability text, they would probably actually do it. And so I reached out to my friend Andrew, and we've been accountability texting every day for, I don't know, if not a year, almost a year. And both of us have been like dramatically more productive when it comes to doing creative work, because that one action, that one day that I decided, Ooh, I should text Andrew and ask him this one question. And then that set us on a path to both being way more productive. Do you, um, you remember how I talk about, uh, Mr. Beast and some of our training content, you remember, mm -hmm. you know him? Yeah, like yeah, I saw a video recently and basically that's part of his story too is like in his early years of YouTube, he had like three or four friends and literally every day they would meet and talk about YouTube. Like for, mm -hmm. uh, he, I think he said something like maybe a thousand days. I mean, it was like a huge amount of time, like a couple yeah. of years. And because they did that, they just got so much further along and better. Um, and uh, yeah, like if you, even if you, let's say you could be consistent on your own, in isolation, even still, you're not going to move as fast because there's just something about like having an outside perspective. Somebody else's mm -hmm. brain thinks in a different way. They're going to think of other ideas. They're going to have other stuff coming into their environment that they can share with you. So um, I love that you're doing that. That's such a cool uh, thing. And so it's what sort of creative stuff does your friend do? Does he do painting as well or something different? So not painting, but he does like digital drawing. And then specifically, he does uh, pixel art. Okay. So uh, this is a college roommate from back in the day and uh 
all of us roommates would try to make a video game uh, back then, but we didn't have the discipline to like follow through and actually realize it. But we've all had to finish lots more things for day jobs and, and many of us have done like better things on side projects. So he's, uh, he's, he's been very consistent now with doing pixel art and working on game development. And that's yeah. cool. Are you, um, are you a bit of a gamer? Do you pretty familiar with different video games and things like that? Yeah. So I didn't, I gamed a lot as a kid, uh, and I loved it cause it really inspired. It's like as a creative person that does music and art and story and everything else, that's video games are all that combined Combines together, all that. which is, which is, uh, really intriguing. And so I just, I fell in love with, uh, you know, a lot of um, the Japanese RPGs, like Final Fantasy VII was my first game where I, my dad had brought some soldier friends over and they brought a PlayStation 1 back in the day with a Final Fantasy VII and uh, I was like, this is amazing. We didn't have any game systems. So I asked if I could um, use the lawnmower and, and mow everyone's lawns that I could, that was willing to let me for money in the neighborhood. So I was like 10 years old and I just was like, can I mow your lawn it. for 10 bucks? <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and so then I bought a PlayStation 1, Final Fantasy 7, and uh, kind of my love for music composition really came went from that. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, um, uh, do you know like Baldur's Gate or Knights of the Old Republic mm -hmm. or Mass Effect, those games? Yep. Um, yeah. It's not out yet, but I interviewed one of my uh, interviews recently. It's a guy named John Gallagher, and he was the director of concept art at BioWare. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, cool. <laughs> like before they made Baldur's Gate and like through Night Seal Republic and the the main bad guy in Night Seal Republic, Darth Revan, was like his creation, supposedly. Um Yeah, oh, that's so cool. So the uh um uh, yeah, like a look out for that. I think you'll enjoy hearing hearing some mm -hmm. of his, his story. It's so interesting. Um, but it's a it seems like one of those jobs where it's it's very hard. But if you like the work, the sort of the psychic rewards <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, outweigh the like the, the long hours and the grinding and all that stuff. But it's um yeah it's an interesting field for sure. Um so okay, so you started getting out of your funk. Um had you kind of recovered and, and been on that path of progress um before you got married, after you got married? What what was the timeline there? And so I was starting that path. Uh, and then we, and then we got married, but I was still on that path and was ultimately just trying to like, even remotely get close to the income that I had as a guitar and voice teacher. Um, and during that time, I did a bunch of freelance things that I, and I, I, I could get gigs, but I ended up hating them. So I did like freelance wedding videography and f photography and some design work and all those things. And, uh, did some social media stuff for local businesses and, those were helpful to gain skills, but I just didn't love doing them. Uh, but it did help me then like leverage up to a job that paid better, which then once we got there, it was, it wasn't a job that I loved, but it was a job that, um, gave me stability for like the next three years. And so during that time, I really had started working a lot more on building back up my creativity and finding what kind of things I really wanted to do with that. And so ultimately a combination of that job and just having to, I was being in creative as no job as well, but on a deadline constantly. So right. I was essentially doing event planning, video, making videos, graphics, social media, and then leading 
like production teams. And so I did that, you know, every, for three years, I, I had a, a finished product, finished event that was made every single week. Um, and so not only during the day job, but also on my time outside of that, I was working on, you know, drawing and painting and, um, all these other creative skills and, and kind of found my, my groove again. Now, were you in Chattanooga during this time? Mm-hmm. So were yeah. these jobs like, um, local or they, um, remote online, some, the, the job that was Yeah. So stable? this was, uh, it was local. Uh, it was, I was working for a, like a multi-site church at the time that was like some in Chattanooga, some in Georgia. And so I kind of would travel around to this little region. Um, but then a lot of it was, uh, remote, like, uh, I just did it on my computer, yep. just stared at my computer screen and then I'd send it off and, you know, be like, okay, you in this city and you in the city, you're like, here's your stuff. Here's how it works for you. And, uh, let me know if you have any questions or if there's any fires to put out. And I was like the on-call everything guy, like yeah. IT man, everything. So helped orchestrate um, it all. Yeah. Uh, I've been recently, the last couple of weeks, I've been up in Chattanooga, um, uh, just for the day it's um i don't think i've been i don't know if i've ever been but it's it's beautiful i like the little mm-hmm. it's kind of nestled in the hills and the mountains what do you like to do yeah. in that area for fun and i'm pretty boring <laughs> i uh i mostly stay at home and just love doing my creative stuff but um it is very pretty i i i don't do a, there's a lot of like awesome hiking stuff like in a day trip away so like being able to like head off and, you know, in a couple hours, get to an amazing place in the mountains is nice. But I would say mainly I just do my creative stuff in my, my little studio at home. And then I go to work and, uh, I, I do most of my socializing, uh, locally because of work. I work a lot doing stuff with small businesses locally. So, um, yeah, I get to no meet lots of people and do random things. <laughs> no worries. That's cool. Um, have you ever been to Cloudland Canyon in North Georgia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How far away is that from Chattanooga? Hmm, I'm not sure. I bet it's I bet it's less than an hour away. But um, yeah, uh, going up there the last uh, week or two has made me want to go back to Cloudland Canyon. Um, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, this is like a state park in Georgia that um, it's right at the corner, very close to the Tennessee border. So the Appalachian Mountains are starting to uh, be prominent, and it's um, just very dramatic. It's kind of like this mini, mini, uh, West Western style landscape with just this big mm-hmm. Canyon and waterfalls and things like that. So, um, if you like hiking, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've already been. I just wanted to make sure you knew about it. If you hadn't, hadn't heard of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Um, so you, you have this focus on helping people with their dreams and being aligned with what they want to do. Um, it sounds like, you know, your earlier dream was to have this uh, business with uh, voice and guitar lessons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, when you, when you recognize that that wasn't going to be an option for you, um, at least at the time, did you have a lot of reflecting and processing um, to do about like, what does it mean to have a dream or like, how do you change your dream? Like, Talk to me through that. Like, how did you basically come out the other mm-hmm. end in an integrated and aligned way? Yeah. Um, so lots of introspection and reflection. Um, and 
definitely it was more naive the earlier on uh following Madras stuff happening and then than it was later so um trying to come up with a dream in the early years following that i think i was less worried about a dream and more worried about like i didn't have an identity so i would so quickly be like i made one wedding video for you know someone and then i would say like i'm a wedding videographer i would declare it to the world <laughs> okay and, uh, and then and then i would like oh i realized i didn't love this so i was like i so quickly wanted a new dream that i would immediately if i if i got even a little bit of affirmation around something i'd say like, that's it i'm a i'm a wedding videograph videographer now or if i did hand lettering one time and someone loved it i was like ah i'm a, I'm a hand letterer now um it sounds like and, yeah no like like you said it's not it wasn't that you were looking for a dream it's like you were looking for a label or like an identity for yeah. yourself to latch on to yeah. and give you like some kind of uh i guess sense of order or stability psychologically yeah. Yeah. So those were the the naive times. And then eventually at some point I realized, okay, that's not it. Like I need to calm that down, uh, and, and give myself some time to actually reflect. And so, uh, I really developed a, a really big journaling habit, um, where I would just ask myself questions and then take time and answer them. And I even started seeing my answers. as like, let me even test my answers. Let me say my answer right now, but let me revisit it in a week and see if I still feel the same, same way. And uh, ultimately, I started testing even assumptions around oh, what I had around dreams. So at some point, I had had this dream pop up where I was like, and I called it being like indie weird Disney. So I had this idea of like, I've developed all these new skills between storytelling and video and, you know, 3D modeling and whatever. I was like, I would love to be able to do something like Disney on a, probably a smaller scale and more independent with like uh, a little bit of a, of a, a stranger vibe, like less mainstream. Um, and so that really like drove me for a good while. But then I realized at some point, um, that it wasn't necessarily that I needed it to be the, the, the first thing that popped in my head that was like, this is what a, a version of this could look like. And then I started asking myself what about that idea of indie where Disney is so appealing to me? And it was getting to express myself, uh, with multiple different skills. Uh, so visual audio story, um, the ability to then, uh, share those finished creations with the world and then find some way to monetize them. And so ultimately I realized that my dream was those deeper things. And then all of a sudden, once I realized that it was like, oh, it doesn't matter if it becomes indie weird Disney as like a entertainment studio, uh, that could be cool. And that might still happen. That might be a thing that I do later on, but really the more core thing for me was like, even back with music, my real dream, uh, was expressing myself through music. Uh, cause even the guitar and voice teaching business was just a really amazing support system that then I would still put my own music out into the world and share it. So I realized like, Oh, my dream all along has been to be expressive. And then to find some way to get paid for it. So from my soul and heart, but for the benefit of others. And, uh, so now that's more of the guiding star of there's a, it, I lost my a job, but like, if I'm painting and I lost my hands, like then what would I lose my identity again? And I was like, this time I'm not losing my identity because I would still express myself with my words, with, you know, <laughs> anything else that I could do. And so then I started asking myself, um, how might I, I live out this, this dream that I can live now? 
that I well, can let, be expressive now. Before we get into that, let, let's just dwell on this for a second. I think this is this is a really powerful idea that like um, a lot of us we I think over identify with certain like societal labels like our job, um, age, gender, ethnicity, um, uh, political persuasion, like you name it. There's all these different labels that people put on themselves and then craft an identity around. But what you were able to identify is very emotionally mature that like, uh, no, it's not that I like want to be a fireman and I have to be a fireman. It's like, no, I like being outdoors or I like doing something physical or I like using my hands or um, like if you can identify almost like uh, patterns of behavior or character traits, then all of a sudden, yeah, if you get fired or laid off or if there's like a technology shift where that certain job title no longer exists or it's radically different, you don't get wrecked emotionally and psychologically that like, oh, I'm no longer can be who I am or who I'm meant to be. Mm -hmm. such, it's such a powerful idea. And um, it takes, I think, being out there for a little while, like tr trying different things, figuring out stuff about your personality. Um, I don't have it all figured out for myself either. I, I, I'm going through right now mm -hmm. like some journaling exercises and, um, and thinking through this stuff. But it's, um, um, yeah, I just think, I just, I'm so glad you shared that because I think, I almost think of like an onion. It's like, you want to like peel back the layers of the onion mm -hmm. and get a little bit closer into like some more abstract yeah. um, uh, ideas. And then all of a sudden now, um, a lot more opportunities could be a good fit for you and make you feel mm -hmm. alive and feel like you're on the right track. So um, yeah. yeah, like, okay. So how did you, did you come to that realization on your own or was there some sort of structure or our book that helped you kind of, um, process and, and come to that point um and i think i probably was it a journaling some kind of crazy soup between everything yeah. that i had been a part of but really it was journaling and in particular i this is while i was working at the church and um and i was really like hey i need to i need to really figure this stuff out i took i think i took like a week off and I was inspired by uh, Bill Gates' Think Weeks, where he would just bring a bunch of books to a cabin and think on stuff yeah. for a week. I literally and did I a like, Think Week like two weeks ago or three weeks oh, ago. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, essentially for me, I was like, I'm going to do a self-therapy week. And so I started asking myself questions. And my idea was, uh, I guess, similar to the idea from Ryan Holiday, but ego's the enemy. For me, it was like um, ambiguity is the enemy. Right. I was like, I will leave no question unanswered. If there's more questions to be followed up from a question, I'm going to answer those. Um, and I would ask myself, I just like ask myself literally hundreds of pages of journaling. And uh, anytime that there was conflicting ideas where I was like, these both feel true to me, I would, I would force myself to imagine like, okay, if, if, if this idea that I'm thinking about is the truth, uh, then let me imagine life as it comes out from that, like 10 years from now, when I'm still thinking and believing this way, how might I be acting? What might happen from that? Do I still feel that that is a good path? And then I would do that with the conflicting idea and then really see like, oh, okay, like this one makes me sad. This one makes me feel good. Uh, and not just in the idealized version, but when I imagine a day in the life of I wake up at this time and I do this and I do this and I do this, um, does that, feel aligned to me or not and then anytime i didn't know what to do with a question for the journaling i would be like okay i've got three potential ideas around what i might believe or what i might think and then i would say how can i experiment and test out each one of them 
and so I can get a visceral real life feeling from experiencing um, that new way of thinking and that new way of being. And so ultimately that's what led me down the path of, um, and then a lot of it was like pattern recognition of when I would ask myself these questions, you know, for instance, I'm along the line of like, what kind of business would I want to build? What kind of creativity would I want to lean into? And I would write all, every single thing I might could possibly think of. And then I would notice the patterns and it was like, you know, around this one area of like career, it was, oh, I love expressing expression. I hate freelance coaching and teaching is pretty cool too. Um, and, and so it's like, I would, anytime I was, uh, I could find like a rock to hold on to mm -hmm. similar to like first principles theory. Like if I can hold on to one truth and say, Hey, this thing about me is for sure true. Then I would just keep building, building on, on top from of there. that. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Um, one thing I notice as I go through something similar, it sounds like what you've been through is um, it's not it's not just about like asking yourself a lot of questions, going through them as quickly as you can. Like it helps to uh, sleep on a lot of this stuff and like come back mm -hmm. to it. Like you said, you come back to it in a week or maybe come back to it the next day and like give your brain, your subconscious some time to process some of this. Um, because if you have it, like the, the things that, one of the things that was helpful to me is I'm doing this thing called uh, self-authorship. It's something that Jordan Peterson puts out. Mm -hmm. And have yeah. you, have you heard of that? Yep. And yeah, it's, um, it's, you kind of like look at your past, you look at your present, you look at your future. And if you try to just kind of race through all of it in one day or a couple of days, you just, if there's certain ideas or certain things that happened to you in your past that you haven't thought about in a while, it takes some time for you to dredge that back up. And so you want to mm -hmm. not like rush some of these introspective ideas or exercises. Um, another thing that was helpful to me that you might find helpful um, um, is there. I did this personality test called Wealth Dynamics. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's probably a, a, it's akin to like Enneagram or uh, Myers Briggs. But uh, what I like about it is it um, is more entrepreneurship focused. Um, oh, interesting. And it has eight different profiles of like uh, sort of entrepreneurial personality types and gives examples of people that have had success in in that way so for example like just a simple comparison you know somebody like oprah winfrey wildly mm -hmm. successful but like the sort of character traits and the personality and the types of businesses that made her successful are wildly different than like the uh, type of personality of let's say like a warren buffett yeah. right she's more like extroverted and is building her personal brand and like shining a light on people that she thinks are worth, you know, celebrating and sharing with her audience. And so it's this very like kind of extroverted um, uh, personal brand style of growing a, a business. And then Warren Buffett yeah. is more like just numbers, <laughs> be out, be alone uh, out in Omaha, like, uh, you know, uh, very rational and just like a totally different kind of personality. And I think yeah. one thing that has been... Um, on my mind recently is I, I have, I deeply believe that um, we don't have fixed traits. Like if you, if you right now don't identify as a salesperson, it doesn't mean that you are not a salesperson. You can never be a salesperson. You can't learn sales, for example. Um, mm -hmm. So don't, don't uh, use this as an excuse to not grow, but there are certain, if, you, if you've put yourself out there and you've actually given a good faith effort to learn different business skills like sales, marketing, customer service, um, you name it. And then you can look back on those experiences and see kind of like, what is your personality drawn to? Where do you feel most in flow? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Like you've actually had some development. If you haven't developed any of this stuff, then mm -hmm. you probably need to just go out there and try these things first. But it, once you have, 
you can look back on that and then you can kind of get a sense of, all right, there's going to be certain ways you can grow your business that puts you more in flow, that make things just feel more like play and easier. And others mm -hmm. are just going to feel like, you know, pulling teeth. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so anyway, that's been like a really good breakthrough for me. And like, the, I'd say the last like month or two is just, uh, giving myself permission to, uh, uh, acknowledge my strengths and like try to lean into those more and step into those more um, rather than try to do everything or things that I'm maybe not as uh, predisposed to. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah 100%. I very much agree. I think I'm saying about this a lot with, uh, so speaking of personality tests, uh, so looking at like Myers-Briggs, for instance, um, the different cognitive behaviors that make up your your different personality type like the actual like brain function of when I do these things, I'm using extroverted intuition or, um, you know, so, so for people that aren't Myers-Briggs focused using like ideation and the ability to come up with analogies and, and unique ideas, um, that particular behavioral function is like naturally high in like an ENFP's personality type, which means without trying very hard, they've leaned on that tool as their coping mechanism for how to get through life way more than the other tools. So instead, I don't, again, it's like, you can learn everything. You, you can become good at everything, but I think those things that are, we've, we've had as a part of our identity for so long and leaned on them for years and years and years as our main way of like, if this, if, if this situation calls for a hammer, but I use a screwdriver everywhere I go, okay. I'm going to find a way to make it work with a screwdriver. Um, you're still going to feel so much more flow with that thing. And then if you can find the places where the screwdriver is uh, most aligned, you're going to have a really easy time just hey. like using the screwdriver correctly over and over and over again. Um, but I think for most entrepreneurial people, most creative people, I mean, really anyone uh, for personal development, you do need to develop at least enough competency in the things that are your weaknesses that then you at least have awareness of what good is or bad is. And yeah. then like talking out loud, you, I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to do your own business, you have, I think there is a wider uh, calling and or necessity to step out of like a narrow definition of your personality and like stretch mm -hmm. yourself. I don't know about you, but like I've taken Myers-Briggs at least three times over the last decade, let's say. And mm -hmm. literally every time, my thing is different and <laughs> and it's because like i've had to basically like tap into parts of me that were like very repressed and it's not like they mm -hmm. weren't there it's like often they were just underdeveloped or i didn't have a chance to develop them so i was like yeah. um i think i n t j and then like i n t p and now i'm like e n f p mm -hmm. or something like that and yeah. and it's just uh i don't think it means the test is broken it just literally is a, a reflection of like how much putting yourself out there and trying to do something really hard like entrepreneurship just forces you to, um, yeah, like uncover aspects of your personality or, or do some more like heavy rewiring than you would otherwise if you just were working in a big company or like in a more yep. uh, stable career path, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I would say my whole path after like the draw your stuff happened and then working in that church uh, and then also starting, you know, my, our business and, and stepping into entrepreneurship, um, put me a lot in the places of like with Myers Big, they call it like shadow personality. It was just essentially, it's like, what are all the things that are not your natural things? Let's go play with those now. Right. Uh, so for all, 
anyone that's gone through like a really major traumatic event in their life during that period, most people would say, you probably have heard someone say like, you don't, you're not acting like yourself or you don't seem like yourself. Or you may, even to yourself, you may say like, I don't feel like me anymore. Um, and a lot of times, like for me, that was, uh, you know, I was always was ENFP on the thing. So for me, it was like, I act like a ISTJ Terminator person now. So when I was working at the church and I was like, people were like, yeah, you don't really show a lot of emotion. You're usually pretty stoic and like really focused on solving the problems. And I was like, what? <laughs> like I'm the most emotional extroverted person you've ever met. But I was like, oh, I had to, ch I had to channel like project manager, Mike, that was like, okay, what are we doing? It's this, da, 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 da. Right. have you taken care of this? Have you taken care of that? Right. And, um, which ultimately, like you said, it's like, yeah, it's like being well-rounded is, is, is good. <laughs> that's yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but it's almost like if you're, yeah, if you go through a crisis or a, a downtime, that can be a way that you manifest, um, a different uh, personality or different result on a test like that. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. So, um, so let's fast forward more to today. When did you start um, getting back into painting? Like, tell you a bit mm -hmm. more about that. Yeah, so um, I think it was December twenty nineteen, maybe. Uh, right before the pandemic. Yeah, so I had drawn off and on you know just like pencil and always like black and white and never used color um pretty much my whole life just like very like occasional hobby um and during after all the draw year stuff i had uh, lots of bursts where i would do art for a longer period of time like three months in a row i would just draw 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 um and that was again still off and on but much higher frequencies and much higher volume of of uh of working on it and then it was, yeah, December of 2019, uh, it was Christmas break. And so I had a, like a couple of weeks off for work and I asked my wife, I was like, Hey, do you have any paints? I like, I'm just curious. Like I haven't painted since I was like in elementary school or something. And, uh, and so I got some acrylic paints from her and I was like, do we have any cardboard? I don't want to, you know, I'm just playing around. I don't want to ruin anything. And. So I painted um, a little crazy robot squid thing on a piece of cardboard. And it was like, I, I really love this. Um, and so that kind of began the, the painting as a thing for me. And so um, you got back into painting. Uh, it, was, it was fun. It was a creative outlet. Uh, was there a moment when you said, you know what? I think I want to like uh, maybe... Uh, commercialize this as an outlet when, when was that mm -hmm. um so it was probably in the, in the just a couple of months after that happened i i was in a place where i was trying to choose between multiple creative outlets that i had that i had been developing just uh in general but i was asking myself um my dream was less of this crazy thing but it was more of like in the short term I wanted to make money from my creative, whichever creative thing I leaned into, and I would prefer to make it sooner rather than later. Um, and those were, those are the kind of my desire to be expressive, but then make money from it. And so I was choosing between like fiction writing 
painting and then uh doing creative coaching but still doing some version of the other so i did i was like okay i love these all equally so that's not a good enough decider of which one to do so that's when i added those constraints so then i started i started with uh, fiction writing i was like i'm gonna do like a an experiment let's give myself a month or something to just do fiction writing and see how it goes see if i think there's potential you thought that would be the fastest way to make money of the three things actually no so i hadn't added the constraint about making money fast yet i was like let me just explore which creative thing i want to choose okay so i was like let me try doing these and so first it was on yeah just like intrinsic do i love doing this enough to like keep doing it more yep and so i did fiction writing for like a month and my wife was and my wife was very blunt uh with like the truth uh and she was like I've loved all your creative things you've ever done, but you are really good at this. You have a lot of potential to do stuff with like fiction writing. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I support you no matter what you, you know, lean into, but like you have a lot of potential here. Um, and so, and I got that same feedback from some other friends that love reading and, you know, read my stuff, um, people that wouldn't bullcrap me. Um, and so I was like, okay, so that's really interesting. And then I started painting a little bit again. What sort of fiction and- were you writing? It was kind of dystopian, supernatural, um, so based in a modern day kind of world, but then uh, with supernatural elements. Um, so that's kind of my go-to place. I love portal say, stories. Say more. Like, what do you mean? Like, what what sort of plot points would that mean? Uh, let's see. That's been a while. So that one was, uh, my first idea was, that I was working on that time was, what if creative people we're actually superheroes. So for instance, if you had, you know, this affinity with music, maybe music was your way of channeling like extra abilities within your brain that were untapped. So, um, for instance, there would be a character that, uh, I think at the time I had it where it was like dystopian world. If you had superpowers, you were hunted down and, but all the superpowers originated with creative, uh, talents. So the there was a the main character their parents were like the leader of like a rebel organization and the the mom was a painter and but when she would paint she would not just make an illusion of reality but she would actually create somewhat of a new reality so for instance she was painting with her little kid and as she would paint a bird you would hear like bird sounds going in the air she painted a little apple tree and she actually reached into the painting and pulled out a little apple uh, and it's like tiny, but it's, but it's real. Um, and so there's like all these kind of different magical abilities that come from different creative aspects. So the dad was like a musician and he had such a affinity with music that he could create sounds out of thin air uh, and make them sound like they were coming from different places. And so he would use that a lot in terms of the rebel stuff with like creating distractions and making it sound like people said stuff that they didn't say that gets guards to go a different way and all those kind of things. Um, and so that was kind of the basic idea of that world that I was starting to write up at that time. Um, which, you know, for me, it was really exciting because it was like, this is a chance to, um, tell stories, but also imagine like, what are all the different unique amazing aspects of different creative thing. Like what do sculptors love about sculpting? What do, what do writers love about writing and how can we transform those into ways to exist in the world with all this like 
creative abilities and stuff. So, um, Neat. yeah, so it was fun. Uh, probably will still write on that at some point. Uh, but I, so I was writing with that then within that month and I wrote, uh, multiple chapters. I did a huge like outline. I really imagined like the, a lot more of it, which I had somewhere and would be able to tell you more about it more concisely, but it's been so long. Um, but for the next month, I was like, I'm going to do painting and I'm going to see how that goes. And so as I was painting, I was like, okay, well, I love this just as much as I loved fiction writing. So, okay. That's what I think that's when I actually added the constraint in of now I would, I would not just love to do the expressive creative thing and enjoy it, but I would like to make money sooner rather than later. And so then as I started doing painting, I just was showing everyone around me, which I still do this today, no matter what I'm doing. Uh, I'm just like, the world is my mom and I get to show my mom, my refrigerator art. Right. And so as I was showing friends, you know, just on my phone, like, Hey, I painted this thing recently. Um, one of my friends said, Oh, this is awesome. How much? And I was like 40 bucks. <laughs> and he said, cool. I want it. And can you make me another one for my sister? And so I was like, cool. I made my first 80 bucks, uh, and it was less than a month. And so that really made me realize, okay, let me shut down the fiction path. Not that I won't do that at some point in my life, but in terms of the making money side of things, uh, art is already proving itself to yep. be enjoyable and make money. And um, so I continued pulling on that thread and kept making more money with art. So that just kind of fed the engine of like, hey, this is possible. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, if you wanted to come up with a novel, um, if you, it probably takes, it takes months and months to write a novel. And then mm -hmm. if you self-publish it, you have to grow an audience. Um, and so, yep. and you, and the price points people can target are quite low, like 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. And then if you go the, the actually published route, you might get an advance on your first book, but you don't really make that much on your first book. It's like future books. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. um, it's a much more hit driven, uh, yep. dynamic. And I, and it, it's, it's funny how like all these artistic fields get lumped in together, but as somebody who is on the business side more, I think about like, yeah, like writing a book or becoming a musician much, much uh, harder path to like revenue than, mm -hmm. um, uh, painting for some reason. Yeah. Um, well, it's cause painting and, and I've thought about this a lot, obviously as a creative that does lots of things, um, especially nowadays with streaming, like you no longer have a product to sell with music before when you were selling well, CDs, it's, it's shows, right? The where they make money today yeah, is all the, the events. Exactly. And same thing when it comes to, you know, well, the fiction, you you have a product, but it's much later on and there's all the distribution. Right. But with painting, like you have a finished product, you know, in a day or a week or however long, and then people will see that, you know, valuable enough to them in their own individual life to be like, and if you I use would spend more than use, I would for a book. And if you use certain materials and make it a certain size, like there's just this fiscality to it where people assume it's going to be, you know, a reasonable price thing for the amount of time yeah. that you put into it. So you know, yeah, like you might, let's say you're a musician, you get your first gig, you might make, uh, I don't know, like a hundred bucks at a gig. If you had mm -hmm. 20 people show up or something like that, and then you, yep. they all paid five bucks or something like that, but you could sell your first painting for like $500, you know, <laughs> yeah. to one person. <laughs> yeah. I honestly met a lot of, uh, painters that were, uh, in the past also more musician focused or writer focused. Cause I think there is something where it's like, I still get to be expressive and I still love it, but oh my gosh. Yeah. I can sell the economics are so stuff. different. Yeah. Um, if you, 
if you're if you're confident enough and you can just be comfortable asking for higher prices like there's just there's no ceiling to what you can charge um i was talking to another artist that we work with uh that i work with and he was mentioning to me like uh, somebody he knows just recently sold like a, a western piece you know uh, mm. a landscape with horses and maybe native americans i'm i'm not sure but it was like sold for you know over a million dollars you know and the guy's mm -hmm. still alive as an artist and yeah crazy i guess taylor swift is what she's gonna do like a, over a billion dollars with her eras tour <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but um and i think i think there's more there's more room for like the long tail when it comes to artists there's a massive long tail for people to make a living if they know how to do it um yeah. but anyway that's that's just enough on my soapbox <laughs> so go, so go back to you all right so you're uh you made 80 bucks from your first two paintings and then um um were you you're working in marketing as your day job right today yeah were you so working at that a, same job back then when you were starting this or was that uh let's see i think i think the first sale with the friend i was still working at the church but uh -huh. i i had already been planning to head out and i had told all my bosses i was like hey this is my plan and it was like months down the, the line but um yeah, I, the beginning of that was at the tail end to marketing. of the church time. Because I guess yeah. I, I'm always curious. So your work with the church, doing uh, events and video production, your work in this marketing role that you're now in, how is those professional experiences sped up your ability to make sales and have success commercially as an artist? Yeah. So I would say the church side of things was my ability to add more structure. So as a creative person, you know, obviously you can be creative and super organized and structured. And there's a lot that are, but there's a lot that aren't. And I'm one of the ones that always resisted a lot of structure. Um, and ultimately that hurt me in my earlier days of not finishing my own creative projects. So I think. Have you ever heard thing... that idea like constraints breeds creativity? Yep. What do you yeah, think about that? It. Yeah. It's honestly like pretty foundational to how it's I think so about true. creativity. I think yeah. the people who put no constraints on themselves, they're just really not far on the, along the path. Let's just put it diplomatically. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you, the more narrow you can get with your focus, with your constraints, then all of a sudden, like your brain just like starts filling in all these details and you, and you just like can be so much more creative within that one little thing. Like, uh, for example, I remember, um, somebody has a thought experiment that I like, he had this idea of like, you tap a, let's say you have a, a brick you know, just a brick, mm -hmm. like a red brick. Think about all the different ways that brick can be used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people that have like a sort of an, uh, uh, an attitude of like, oh, I don't want any constraints on myself. They often have a harder time coming up with ideas to how to mm -hmm. use the brick. But if you are comfortable with constraints, now all of a sudden, like you might come up with like 50 different use cases mm -hmm. for the brick because that's like a focal point for you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, it's like, and it's like a muscle anyone can develop. It's just, I think the people haven't developed that muscle. And so their, their brain rationalizes it by saying, oh, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm a creative person. I don't have any constraints. I don't want to have anything mm -hmm. to pigeonhole me. Um, but it's, yeah. it's just, you need to develop that muscle. It's, it'll make you more creative than you could ever imagine if you can do that. Yep. Yeah. Cause ultimately, like I heard someone talk about it and I, I still really love her thought and it's like how i think about constraints a lot now too which is um 
the more specific you are with the questions you ask, the more specific answers you get. Um, and so the way she talked about it as a, someone, she's like, um, she did a mixture of writing and art, but she talked about it as magic questions. So she was coming from it, from the standpoint of like, I'm trying to write this next thing in my chapter. Uh, and so it's like, she would ask something like, what might the next, what might the character do next? Uh, but then she would ask herself like, okay, well, how can I turn this into a magic, what she called a magic question? It would be like, well, how can I, what could the character possibly need to do next? That would be really exciting. And that would make the characters feel like a little bit of hint of danger and like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen. But also maybe laugh a little bit right at the end. All of a sudden that prompts that question is like very specific and already the ideas of like, Ooh, there needs to be danger. What could be dangerous? Ooh, there needs to be a thing of funniness right at the end. What could possibly be funny? And then all of a sudden there's more juices to come up with than just like anything. And so there's so many artists though, that like, it's like, they're like, I can paint anything. I can do landscapes. I can do still life. I can do portraits. I can do this. And it's great if you feel that, but it's like, yeah, like finding ways to give yourself creative constraints will Mm -hmm. unlock more, um, imagination, more fun, more fulfillment. You just have to like give yourself the courage and permission to do that. Yep. Just like that. It's just like you're giving that example. I love that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say the church time really helped on the actual, like finishing of projects the ability to add the constraints very quickly. Okay. With this event, what's the theme? Well, already that theme is a constraint. It's by saying the theme, we mean a billion things that this event can no longer it's be. It's not any of those um, other things. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, would very quickly was able to apply constraints to every single part of the event. And so now when I'm coming up with projects, like I very much approach the same mindset of like, what's the shape of it look like from beginning to end? How do I apply constraints to every single part of it? How do then we actually like get them done? Um, whereas the, the marketing side of stuff, the working in the marketing business, I think that for me has been, um, it's kind of been like a micro business experiment. So, uh, we've been, uh, I'm kind of like paid as the employee but we're essentially building a side business that has another business, uh, as the funder. So, um, my boss is the owner of multiple, multiple chain coffee shop, uh, that's local here in Chattanooga. And, uh, but he and a couple other guys started this like marketing business, uh, that I joined in on. And, um, so they basically started a coffee shop. They had success with that. And they want to basically yeah. help other local businesses apply their marketing principles. So they have like a local marketing agency that spun yeah. off something like that. Exactly. And okay. so within that, it's been a chance to like build up a whole new thing, which then comes with, uh, from, I always love the idea of like, as an employee, like getting paid to learn, getting paid to train on things that you don't know. Yep. So for me, it's been a crash course in entrepreneurship in terms of like, Hey, we have this thing. We know it's awesome. We've helped some people already with to great effect. Um, but for some reason it's still not connecting with other people. Oh crap. Okay. Like now you know, so like, let's learn the lesson of product market fit in a really hard way <laughs> and eventually get it figured out and be a lot more receptive to feedback and testing. And, you know, so like ultimately the, I would say the core thing I've learned from doing the marketing business is how much more I view every single aspect of business as the scientific method. Uh, I, I do not uh, assume a lot anymore. I'm like, huh, interesting. What if we do this? How will people react? 
like even recently with um i was trying to i had a couple different couple different color palettes that i wanted to to do for a new series and instead of being like i'm just gonna choose one i was like all right let me throw it out to my audience and ask like do you like this one or this one better and it was like the number two got it destroyed number one by so much and i was like i could have done a whole series on number one and only four people would have cared but like hundreds of or like maybe like 50 people love number two two. compared to like you know and so that's been like okay that's really interesting and so now i've you know again applying like the marketing business lessons that we've learned the hard way i then was like okay i have things that i think this series feel like these colors make me feel but all these people say they love it what do they feel from it so i asked them and like i was like okay they all magical like like naive like joy uh adventure and i was like okay they're pretty similar like a lot of you know people are cool feeling the same what things what you're this. saying uh, sorry sorry to cut you, cut you off but it's like what's uh, what i'm getting from this is um you are allowing your audience now to put choose the constraints that you work within mm-hmm. and then because of yeah. that you get to basically like explore your creativity inside of that is that where you were probably yeah. going there <laughs> yeah yeah i, I mean that's actually exactly because i was like i, I don't know it, it, for me it, i've kind of found like this perfect balancing act between i'm only making the stuff that i love for me first so i'm like i'm presenting them options i i don't care i like you're you're still setting yeah you're setting like basically the parameters where you'd be happy whatever they choose but exactly and then it's like now it's all you like you tell me essentially i'm asking them like you tell me which one you want me to do and then now tell me what you feel from it tell me how to market it to you like you know, it's like, so I'm going to use everything they've told me to then figure out like the name for what the you, series will be. And you know how people um, talk about like the muse inspiring them. Mm-hmm. I just got this flash right now. I think it's like a pretty good idea if I don't say so myself, but like basically like t- we've never lived in a time until today where you could get a like this sort of um, democratized, decentralized muse that you can tap into anytime mm-hmm. where basically you can just call on the muse by posting on social media. <laughs> And then people will come to you with like inspiration and give you creative constraints that you can then play with, play within and have higher conviction that, uh, it will resonate. And, uh, yeah, like not, not being cynical about that, not being like, oh, you're like, uh, not being authentic to yourself. Like letting, like, Mm -hmm. I think whatever you're doing right now, like that is awesome. I think more people should do that. It sounds so cool. Yeah. It's really, honestly, it's given me a lot of freedom and happiness. It's like, it's like taking everything I've learned about like niching yourself down. Yeah. And then I've essentially realized like, um, you're creating a dialogue. A, yeah. There's a, there's an umbrella of like things that I am as a person that is kind of a niche, but like when it comes to like a series in particular, I can niche that really hard. Yeah. Like because, because I'm, I'm using the muse of the marketplace uh, to be like, cool, tell me more about this. But then even in the long term sense of it, I'm treating it like, um, like a network treats shows in terms of here's my pilot episode. Do you care at all? Right. Right. Okay, right. Here's my, here's my three episode run. Let me do th- three paintings in this, in this type. Do you still love them? Yeah. Okay. And do you love them enough to like have like a full season? Um, and then even over time, like for instance, with this series that everyone is really excited about color palette two versus number one. And they have this like awe and wonder and magic, uh, kind of vibes. Um, I'm going to run this series, you know, and we'll see how it sells. Uh, but then, and I'll probably keep doing it if people still love it. I'll add more to the series over time. 
but I'm going to put out new pilot episodes of other painting series. And then I'll be like, okay, like, do you love this too? You know, do you love stranger things, but do you also love, uh, you know, severance? And, uh, and so over time I'll realize like if, if, um, if painting series number one starts to die out, like they no longer care anymore, then it's a fine because I have infinite series to, to, to find what resonates with like my people. And over time, yeah. they're going to keep telling me more about like, these are the general themes. Here's your sandbox, Michael play in the sandbox as much as you want. And we yeah. love, you know, the different things. So it's like, yeah, basically the, the more you have that dialogue, the more you will like the faster you will find yourself to that sandbox. That's both creatively fulfilling to you, but also profitable uh, or sustainable, yeah. I would say. So I love this. I think this is such a good reframe. So if you are struggling with this idea of putting constraints to yourself, reframe an audience, reframe other people as your muse. And if you do mm -hmm. that, then maybe that will help you kind of like uh, be more comfortable leaning into this and actually having more commercial success with what you're doing. Um, as you've worked in these business roles in the church, in marketing, obviously a lot of that comes down to uh, learning communication skills, how to arrange words in a way that are persuasive or enticing or educational. Um, mm -hmm. Have you noticed that same sort of like that scientific method or like thinking about copy and words? Um, have you have you have you noticed that like words in that sort of marketing um, role can be an artistic or creative outlet? And if so, like, can you share a bit about that? Hundred um, percent. As someone that I've one of the subjects I've studied to so much is storytelling because I just found it really fascinating. But it's one of those things that I utilize it all the time when it comes to marketing and copywriting and everything else. Um, and a lot of times it doesn't translate a hundred percent perfectly. Like I don't just take like a storytelling structure and say, okay, now I need this and this and this and this and this, but like the general concepts keep just like drilling into my brain and like even just a tiny like hint of storytelling, uh, can really take something in a dramatic way. Um, which for me often is people want transformation. Uh, whether they see it in you sharing something about yourself or if it's like an educational thing for them of, oh, here's my before, here's my after, give me some context of why I should care. Like, and that's ultimately on the simplest format. Like I've noticed uh, over time, the posts that I do that have some element of that just crush in comparison to the other yes. ones because people want to latch on to story. Like, because that's how we understand as humans or you know, wait, basically everybody and... feels like they're the main character of their own story. And mm -hmm. so if you can create content that lets that they, when they read and engage with it, it makes them feel like they're stepping into their own story or they're stepping into a journey or they're seeing you go through a transformation or somebody that, you know, has gone through a transformation that then inspires them. Um, yeah, like that just draws people in again and again and again. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, uh, I guess, do you, do you use that storytelling with like your marketing clients or with the coffee shop? Like, did you see it play out there? And if so, like, how did, how does it play out in like a coffee shop setting? Yeah. So, um, pretty much we used it everywhere in terms of the coffee shop setting. It's, it was interesting because, um, in terms of the coffee shop, we essentially realized like, what are the, what are the vibes of the coffee shop? Like there's, you know, we could, we could do infinite amounts of content, but essentially we realized that there was two different sides of the coffee shop. There was, um, 
which it's becaffeinated by the way. So I'll just plug that. If you're in sure. Chattanooga, come visit becaffeinated. It's really awesome. Um, but, uh, we realized that there's like the, the community caring side of becaffeinated, which is like, um, which then translated to if there's multiple people smiling and being happy, if there's people hanging out with people, people hanging out with dogs, like just anything that was interactive with the community, like helping each other in some way, then that is one of the whole vibe of be caffeinated. And the other vibe was, uh, kind of silly, but silly with friends. And so those two sides of things are mostly the, the two notes that get played over and over and over and over again, just like a sitcom might be like, Hey, it's friends. It's mostly goofy, funny, but we occasionally have like dramatic actual relation stuff that makes you feel something. And that's it. Those are the two notes over and over and over and over and over again. But, but, with, but within that constraint, you're riffing on it in different creative exactly. ways and playing a with new that story, hundred percent. Because even when we would do like a dumb video where it was the 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 jokey goofy side, and we would pull out one of the baristas, uh, and they would we did one for like National Coffee Day where it was uh, one of the baristas taking like a cold brew and just like drinking it, like pouring <laughs> it from to their mouth. Um, which was really silly and really goofy, but we often would show a lot of our baristas. So people have been like, oh, it's Justin. And <laughs> this is a bit, but then like we get to laugh and enjoy the fact that like, I can't believe they did this. And I can't believe Justin did this. He's so quiet and not this way. So it's just that much more funny. Right. Um, and so it's like a tiny little moment of storytelling, you know, within the overall giant sitcom that yes. is this coffee shop. Yes. And and then for the people who frequent it or are in the area that like just allows you to stick in their mind in a, in a, in a non-salesy way, like you become part of their, the fabric of their, their day to day. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, with your art practice today, um, how are things going? Are you focusing on selling originals, selling commissions? Like what are you uh, mm -hmm. active with right now? Yeah. So I just finished up, um, some commissions and ultimately I've realized, uh, I've relearned a lesson that I had learned a long time ago. So if I mentioned back to like wedding videography and design and everything else that I realized I just didn't really enjoy freelance work. Um, there's something about like the expressive from me, but for the benefit of others, that is like the sweet spot. So I've moved from doing original or from commissions to now just doing originals. Um, but without losing the fact that you're still I, making it a still dialogue, a, it's still interacting exactly. with your audience. It's yeah. with, it's not just in isolation in my cave. It's, Hey, I made all these things that I love. Which do you love? Okay. Let me show you more of what you love. And, and it's, it's that exactly like you said, a dialogue and, uh, and that's very much my approach moving forward. So I'm still, it's a, my side hustle. It's my part-time thing. So I do make money from it, but my goal now is I had, if I could really analyze what was my biggest missing pieces for why I wasn't getting the consistency that I wanted in my art business. It was, I never shared content. <laughs> I was only talking about it locally to people. And I would make sales locally from doing that, but it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm losing out on this scale. I know marketing. I understand it. I just need to actually do it more. And so that's when I go back to that. What's the one thing yeah. that I could do to make it better. And I was like, I have a weird content hang up from stuff that happened in my past years. And so let me fix that. And so I think I finally, Lock that, that in. And so issue. now, yeah, now that I've got the right mindset of, I'm, I used to have that thing where I was like, I, I have to love it. It has to be from me. 
but only from me. Uh, and so I didn't have the dialogue aspect. And now I feel like I have that perfect marriage of I get to make what I love, but I get to find what you love and let's the dialogue is so together. important. Like it's yeah. it's it's the minimum if you want to have sustainable commercial aspect to what you're doing. And um I mean classic a incredible, incredible um uh world renowned, you know, artist like uh like Norman Rockwell, for example. I mean, he was hired all the time by like companies mm -hmm. to create uh art for like a, a Coca-Cola company or, you know, other companies like that. Mm -hmm. So um don't think that if you have that aspect to what you're doing that you're you're um selling out or compromising on your, mm -hmm. your artistic uh authenticity or integrity or whatever it might be. So um yeah. what do you feel like is um well, let me ask you this, like how much are you selling your originals for? Like what was the one what what did you sell the last one for? Just ballpark. Uh last one I sold I sold it for eight hundred. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. And so yeah. you feel like it's what, what's ahead for you from here? Yeah. So what's ahead for me from here? Um, I really love thinking like systems, not goals. Yep. So, and, and when I think goals, it's more like North star kind of goal. So North star is to become full-time artist, but the system that I am building now that wasn't what I had before is just growing a, a really strong consistency around creating art, but being much more vocal and sharing it. And now that I've uh, built in some accountability and I've started enjoying the dialogue back and forth with uh, my audience, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, Are you sharing so, about your collectors too as well and like their stories in the process? Um, yes, some. So yes to, to some before that we're doing the commissions, but as I do more stuff with originals. Keep doing uh, it with originals. You should. You yes, should. I, and and all, all the like the customer lifecycle moments like shipping the art off and uh, we've mm -hmm. probably already talked about this in the past but it's just important to, to, to for people to hear like um, you'll see a lot of people on, on social media as artists all they do is just like still photo of a painting still photo of a painting still yeah. photo of a painting but if you can uh, give them like almost like a life behind the scenes of like an artist who's mm -hmm. actually working and selling and talking about the customers that will actually uh, draw more people in that are more at, like looking at you as a potential person to buy from rather than a person who's mm -hmm. just like, like they can teach them about art and teach them about how to make yeah. art, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. Great, great tips and good reminder. We'll continue those on. Yeah, <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, but yeah, so that's the general plan is like make stuff, share about and share about it and go back and forth with them. Yep. Actually list it for sale so that they can buy it if they want to buy it and then uh repeat the process and just keep the cycle going love it uh, just do the the few simple things that matter over and over and over again love it man love it so this has been so great michael i really appreciate you sharing a bit about your story i definitely learned a lot i didn't know about um some of those those uh, adversities you've overcome it's really cool that you would be able to like push through that um if people want to learn more about you where can they find more about you online awesome well thank you and it's been really enjoyable to talk with you as well harry um so the easiest place to find me right now is on Instagram at Michael underscore creative. Michael underscore creative. Perfect. All right. So definitely take a look at Michael. Um, and yeah, thanks again for listening, everybody. Um, again, just if you're following along, you like the podcast, subscribe, follow us on YouTube, on wherever you uh, listen to podcasts, um, tell your friends. And if you're interested in helping us with the podcast, go to unstarvingartist.com slash producer. I look forward to hearing from you there. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
All right. How was that? Awesome. Yeah. Fun time. You feel good? Yeah. Yeah. You? Yeah. I feel great. I feel great. Um, so yeah, so we're like dripping these out over time. Um, we'll probably go out in a couple of weeks. Um, cool. Do you have any questions or anything for me? Um, not especially no. Um, actually I know I do have one. Um, maybe this was in the thing. I can't remember, but, uh, is it possible I could also get a copy of the video file so I could like chop up some stuff for like social like clips or whatever? The, um, so what I'll do is I will post it on YouTube and then, um, there is a tool that I've been using that's really helpful. It's called Opus. And what Mm. Opus does is Opus, um, will automatically create clips from a video for you. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So... Why don't we do this? Like once I publish it on YouTube, you grab the YouTube link, you can put it in Opus and it will give you literally probably 20, maybe even 50 clips. Nice. And then, and then you can use those clips. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to stop you. I don't want you to, to upload the whole video somewhere because we yeah, want yeah, it yeah. basically to point all the traffic to the 100%. same place, but that's yeah, fine. Absolutely. Does that work for you? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That was also my thought. My thought was like, you know, it's a good chance for me to have extra cool content. Like I did this thing and it was fun, but also then it points to the podcast so more people can see it yeah um yeah and um uh ba, 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 ba. there might be a way there's also something called instagram collabs so we could mm-hmm. probably uh maybe we could test out like i could post the videos on my profile and then invite you to be a collab on them mm-hmm. and then you don't even yeah. have to like duplicate them so easy peasy when we, when we get closer to that um i'll sync up with you and we can figure out what what the appropriate uh plan is. Does that sound good? Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I've done the collabs before. It's real simple. Have you done one yet? Just as a test, but I don't, I don't do them actively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, super easy. Just, yeah. Just when you go to invite the other person to be a part of it, they're like, do you want to make them a collab? And then and they just it approve it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sweet man. Well, um, really happy for you that you're having, having fun with the originals. Yeah. Like the whole thing with in the training about selling commissions, it's not like commissions are objectively better in perpetuity. It's more just how can I remove friction to make it easier for people to get their first sales and commissions yeah, are easier to sell. But as soon as you feel comfortable selling originals, you can use the same principles at everything that's taught just like you're doing. So you're not doing anything wrong. It's yeah. not like out of alignment with what I teach. Um, and it just, yeah, you probably like start the price a little bit lower and you just have to walk up exactly. with that. But yeah, you feel good awesome. about the, the path you're on and the progress you're breaking. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I feel um, you know, still have uh you know, the the basic mindset of unserving arts in there. It's like pretty cool source of leads, you know, <laughs> good profitable art products. So I'm 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 on track. You've got that that uh operating system in your head. Um, yeah. are you actually like sharing the prices publicly or are you um saying it's for sale and getting people on calls and, and then sharing pricing? So I am so I just finished the last commission. I don't know, like a week ago. So I am very fresh on my okay. process of to like how to exactly I'm doing it. Okay. Um, I feel like for me, I do feel like I would probably list the prices for sale or for more public. I'm I'm exploring some different possibilities for how I might do it. So one is doing more of like, um, and I was talking to some artists that have done it 
in this way that do primarily more originals as well. So, um, where doing it by collection gives you that power, the ability to like niche down the series, which is really nice. Cause then you can cater it right to the right people. Um, and then a lot of times they do like add people to the email list. And then, um, when they launch the series, like people on the email list get first dibs. And so before sharing, they won't really share the prices on like Instagram, but they might, they'll list them on where they are on their website. Um, and then that's kind of the general flow of that. So keep people excited about, you know, just the art itself and how it makes them feel on Instagram and then where they go to actually visit the, the art itself. It's like only when they go to the, the actual buy interest of like, Hey, I want to buy this. Then do they see the price? Yeah. The, um, I mean, everything is worth testing, right? So if you want to try yeah. that, try it, try it. I think in my experience, you just need like orders of magnitude, larger audiences for you yeah. to find the person who's going to just impulsively be like 800 bucks. Okay. Like I'll buy, um, you need like a bigger, bigger audience. Um, and there are people out there that would be like, oh, like they thought it was going to be, you know, under 500, but then they can, they can, yeah. they can kind of stretch up to 800 if they yeah. connect with you and really like you and are like emotionally yeah. invested in the process. Personal connection. Yeah. Yeah. So just be cognizant of that and, and be flexible. You, you know, um, and, uh, if you are like studying other training, that's maybe more old school and it's like about having a website or, or an email list. I mean, emails is great because it's, it's portable away from social media, but you can also, um, you know, if you want to do something that's kind of ephemeral or, um, uh, not shared publicly, you can do like Instagram stories, which, you know, will go mm. out to your, your followers. Yeah. You've got to train them to look out for those for special early access and things like that. So yeah, yeah for sure. Nice, man. Cool. Well, keep nice. me posted. Let's stay in touch and maybe we can do something like this again in the future and just kind of, uh, get an update on where you're at. Awesome. Love it. And hundred percent. Okay, man. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in today. If you haven't picked up a copy of the Unstarving Artist book, go ahead and pick up yours at unstarvingartistbook.com. See you next time.